Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. afternoon of November 30th, 1864, approximately 30,000 Confederate soldiers of the Army of Tennessee commenced a full frontal assault on an equal number of Union forces in the small town of Franklin. After a difficult loss to the United States General Sherman in the Battle of Atlanta, Confederate General John Bell Hood turned his attention towards Nashville racing Major General John Schofield's Army of the Ohio to the Union-held city. And Franklin, Tennessee was Hood's final opportunity to stop Schofield. But tragically, this assault would prove disastrous. Within a span of only five hours, one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War took place. A violent encounter, deadlier than the infamous Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg. The Confederates were left nearly crippled, suffering roughly 10,000 casualties, with 1,750 killed and thousands wounded, captured, or missing. Undeniably, the enormity of loss and destruction during the Battle of Franklin is the most defining moment of this small town's existence. However, the rich history of the city of Franklin is far deeper than what occurred on that fateful day. And among all of the historic antebellum buildings that make up Franklin's beautiful downtown today, one has been a central character the Southern community's evolution. The historic Franklin Masonic Hall. The first three-story public building constructed in this wealthy, two-century-old town. A witness to some of the region's most historic events with a past that some claim still lingers on within its walls today. My name 
is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. Today, Franklin is the seventh largest city in the state of Tennessee, with a population close to 81,000. And each year, thousands of tourists visit the affluent southern city, which has earned a national reputation for its commitment to historic preservation. But while its most visited destinations are linked to the city's role in the Civil War, the history of this region as it sits tucked away in the Harpeth River Valley, begins centuries prior to the earliest European settlers. At least five indigenous cultures, including the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, and Shawnee peoples, have all called the region home. Over time, these native cultures evolved from nomadic hunter-gatherer societies into a settled existence in fortified villages along the Harpeth River and its tributaries. But by 1785, the land here that was once occupied by the Cherokee and Chickasaw was officially ceded to the United States. Settlers of European ancestry did not arrive until after the Revolutionary War, when the new American government awarded land grants to veterans of the conflict in honor of their service. And in 1798, Scottish-born settler Ewan Cameron was the first to build a home in what would soon be Franklin. The following year, while Franklin was nothing more than a huddle of log cabins, half circled by the Big Harpeth River, Abram Murray charted out the city using 109 of the 640 acres of land that he had purchased from Major Anthony Sharp. In no time at all, the Tennessee General Assembly officially established Franklin on October 26, 1799, making it the county seat of the also newly created Williamson County. As more settlers came to make use of land grants and make their homes in Tennessee, Franklin quickly transformed from a small Western enclave into a well-known entity in Middle Tennessee. Brick buildings were erected and the first two courthouses were constructed on the town square where a multitude of important government and business transactions were taking place. Then, on November 14, 1817, the Tennessee General Assembly authorized the state's first lottery at the request of Hiram Lodge No. 7, a fraternity of Freemasons that included many prominent Franklin judges and attorneys. 
This lottery, the first of two, funded construction of what would soon become the first three-story brick building west of the Allegheny Mountains. This building, whose location is only a stone's throw from you and Cameron's first log cabin, would not only be used as a Masonic hall for the lodge, but would serve as a central meeting place and community center for the growing city. This building, whose cornerstone was laid in 1825, was built of stately red brick and introduced the Gothic Revival architectural style into the area, featuring ornate pointed arches with a unique blend of the flat federal style. While its construction was commissioned by the men of Hiram Lodge, the builders were primarily enslaved African-American men, women, and children who molded the now iconic bricks by hand. Their legacy still visible today as their fingerprints can be found on the surface of interior and exterior bricks. Once completed, the lodge used the second and third floors of the building for meetings, but the first floor was open for public use. In spite of Franklin's growth over the previous decades, no church had yet been built. So numerous congregations of various denominations met on the first floor until they were able to construct homes of their own. Then, in 1830, this very room of the Masonic Hall became witness to the beginning of the Trail of Tears as we know it. By the early 1800s, settlement of the United States was expanding outwards, a process encouraged by the land grants awarded to Revolutionary War veterans. The complication, however, was that much of the land given to these white settlers already belonged to the Native Americans. As a result, Thomas Jefferson would be the first to officially propose the Indian Removal Act, in which the titled, quote, Five civilized tribes of the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, and Seminole nations would give up their ancestral lands in the southern United States and relocate west of the Mississippi River. Additionally, Jefferson's plan called for the assimilation of the native tribes into the culture and ideals of the United States. It was not until the presidency of Andrew Jackson, though, that the Indian Removal Act was passed and signed into law on May 28, 1830. Jackson viewed the downfall of native tribes as inevitable given the increased settlement in the southern states and as such took a hard line to see that they were relocated elsewhere. So in August 1830, President Andrew Jackson invited delegations from the Chickasaw and Choctaw nations of Alabama and Mississippi to Franklin, where they would begin talks of tribal relocation. This 
would be the first discussion of native removal with a tribal delegation following the passage of the Indian Removal Act. Representatives of the Choctaw Nation did not attend, but on August 20th, 1830, a delegation of 20 Chickasaw leaders arrived for the meeting. Leading the delegation on behalf of the United States government was Secretary of War John Eaton and Indian Commissioner John Coffey. President Jackson was so eager to see these talks result in a success for the United States that he too traveled from Washington, D.C. Initially, Jackson remained in the background as discussions commenced at Franklin's Presbyterian Church. But this first meeting failed, and no agreement was reached between the Chickasaw Nation and the Americans. There was, however, a request made by the Chickasaw that instead of meeting American representatives, they wanted to meet with Jackson himself. So on the following day, President Andrew Jackson joined the negotiation inside the Masonic Hall. The result was a treaty which included the, quote, secession of Chickasaw lands east of the Mississippi River in exchange for lands west of the territory of Arkansas. But the Treaty of Franklin, 1830, was just the first of many treaties that would eventually force the migration of approximately 100,000 native peoples from their ancestral lands, culminating with the Trail of Tears. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark.
By the middle of the 19th century, the Harpeth Valley's fertile farmland and rolling hills allowed landowners to not only grow a variety of crops, but also raise an assortment of livestock. Slavery became an integral part of the economy, and by 1860, African Americans made up more than half of Williamson County's population. Then, when the state of Tennessee was divided over the war, Franklin was considered a wealthy secessionist town. And in the spring of 1861, numerous local women turned the first floor of the Masonic Hall into a makeshift textile factory. For several months, these women, both free and enslaved, produced Confederate uniforms inside the building. However, after the capture of Nashville in February of 1862, federal troops marched south to Franklin and took up occupancy. Many of the city's public buildings were used by the men, including the Masonic Hall, which became a quartermaster's office, barracks, and hospital. The height of the building also provided a considerable strategic advantage, allowing a clear view of the Middle Tennessee landscape for miles on all sides. Then on November 30th, 1864, the Battle of Franklin commenced, and over the course of a single afternoon, almost 2,000 men were left dead and another 8,000 wounded, missing, or captured, crippling the Confederate Army. Federal troops then withdrew to Nashville, and for the following two and a half weeks, the Masonic Hall became a Confederate hospital. Before federal forces returned, after the Battle of Nashville. Following the war, when the men of Hiram Lodge No. 7 finally regained access to their building in the summer of 1865, they were horrified by its condition and sued the United States government for damages incurred during the occupation. Unfortunately, they would not receive a dime until 1916. Over the following decades, the Masonic Hall continued to be used as a community space, serving as everything from a public library to a school gymnasium and even meeting space for women's suffragists. However, in the aftermath of the Civil War, racial tension in Franklin grew to violent proportions. On July 6, 1867, a political riot broke out in the town square after a group of white conservatives, which included ex-Confederates and members of the Ku Klux Klan, opened fire on members of the Union League, an African-American group promoting civil rights. A member of the conservatives was killed and several others injured, but 27 members of the Union League were wounded as well, most shot in the back as they fled. Unfortunately, this violent skirmish 
would not put an end to the tension. Numerous southern states like Tennessee launched aggressive campaigns to suppress the rights of the African-American population, catalyzed by the end of Reconstruction in 1877. The Ku Klux Klan, founded in nearby Pulaski, Tennessee, was active in Franklin as well. And in the 1920s, the Masonic Hall itself was even used as a meeting space for the group who met on the third floor of the building. Of course, with a history that spans almost two centuries, numerous stories of purported spirits within the walls of the historic hall have arisen. From apparitions of soldiers to disembodied footsteps and even unexplainable smells and sounds. According to Rachel Finch, executive director of the historic Franklin Masonic Hall Foundation, reports that disembodied footsteps on the second floor and stairwell in an otherwise empty building are incredibly common, as well as the potent and rank smells of cigars, body odor, and blood that dissipate as instantly as they arise. One memorable instance was in 2015, after a professional archivist and photographer took pictures of a display case on the first floor. Eerily, upon later inspection, the image of figures sitting behind them were found in the reflections of the glass. These figures, both male and female, appeared to be dressed in antebellum clothing and seated as if they were attending a church service. Several Masons have also had purported encounters, notably while occupying the third floor of the building, a group of them claimed to have heard the chilling sounds of bodies being dragged across the second floor, the one-time location of the Confederate hospital. But even more chilling was an audio recording made on the second floor. The recording of Finch's daughter singing both Amazing Grace and Danny Boy was intended to be used for a slideshow presentation. But upon hearing playback, the presence of a harmonizing male voice in the background was discovered. To this day, Finch's daughter, now a young adult, still refuses to visit the second floor. Children seem to be central to many of the purported experiences. In fact, after a recent performance by a children's choir, several of the young singers asked if reenactors were present at the event, describing the sight of uniformed men standing in the foyer of the hall behind the audience. Their descriptions were vivid, with details as specific as to the style of facial hair. But eerily, no reenactors were present. Today, the Franklin Masonic Hall 
is one of the oldest examples of Gothic Revival architecture in the United States and still home of Hiram Lodge No. 7. However, time has not been kind to this beautiful structure, so the historic Franklin Masonic Hall Foundation was created to not only renovate, restore, and maintain this important piece of history, but also repurpose the building into a museum by the time of its 200th birthday in 2023. Restoration work has already begun, including the removal of layers of paint to uncover the original wallpaper, exposing numerous marks left by soldiers etching their names, regiments, and various symbols into the wall. A five-year plan to stabilize the building and construct an additional welcome center is also underway. But most importantly, the historic Franklin Masonic Hall Foundation still keeps the first floor of the building open for the community, offering monthly lecture series and programs that explore the difficult history of the city of Franklin, highlighting historically marginalized voices that have far too long been overshadowed by the events of the Civil War. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Masonic Hall is a witness site. It's stood witness to American Indian removal, secession, 
with Tennessee. This is Rachel Finch, the executive director of the historic Franklin Masonic Hall Foundation. Occupation as well as Confederate occupation. Multiple battles within Franklin. Reconstruction really goes without saying. The building served as a location on the map during the race riot of July 1867. You know, there's a lot of difficult history that's there, but it was also used as an area for women's suffragettes. It was an armory during World War I. So there are some very patriotic events that have taken place there, but then there are some events there that have very much impacted other people's lives. And the idea that the decisions of the few impacted the many. I don't think we're going to get a ghost since we're sitting in my house today. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, we might have picked up something if I was at the hall, but the one thing I heard you ask me before everything... Since Rachel so generously gave us her time and advice on this week's episode, I invited her on to tell us a little more about the building, its restoration, and their plans for the future. Preservation in the 21st century, I always like to say, is it's preservation with a purpose. I think it's really important to preserve places that matter. And you have to give people a reason to care. And I think with the historic hall in Franklin, there's such an opportunity to have people come together and preserve a building that is so recognizable to our past, but yet unrecognizable to people today. And that five-year preservation plan includes the entire three-story Masonic Hall. It also includes building a new facility behind it, which will actually house the present-day Franklin History Center. So it's going to be a beautiful marriage of the past meeting the present so we can build the sustainable future together for being able to talk about history, be a part of history, and make history together by saving this remarkable National Historic Landmark. Rachel's plans for the Masonic Hall are pretty impressive. And although she is Director of Preservation Grace Abernathy by her side, she says a project to this scale is incredibly daunting and really needs the support of the community as well. Preservation requires advocacy and awareness in our community. And in order to get things done, we have to have the public come alongside of us and be a part of the preservation plan. So we fund through a variety of methods. We have Memberships, if you're very interested in all of the educational programming that we do throughout the year, our tours, we offer various levels of membership from $30 to an individual all the way up to $1,000 a year. But we're always looking for large key donors who see the vision like we do and want to be able to fund preservation in a more philanthropic way that adds an additional historic resource that's accessible to the community. And one of the other methods that we have is with the 1823 Society. So we are always looking for 1,823 people to come alongside of us and donate $1,823. If we did that, we would raise 3.3 million of the 10 million needed. So by being part of that 1823 Society, the goal is to have the building fully restored by its 200th birthday, which would be in 2023. So if you're in the 1823 Society, you're in good company because you get to be invited to an incredible celebration in 2023. So if somebody's interested in joining one of these, what's the best way to reach you? The best way to reach us is through our website, www.hfmhfoundation.com. 
historicfranklinmasonicall.org. Or they can always find us on the web at Historic Franklin Masonic Hall Foundation. And you're a prolific Instagrammer. So. I am. I'm a prolific Instagrammer. Um, well, I am kind of like the Jill of all trades. I run all the social media. I do all of the marketing and the management of the historic site. So there's a lot going on. And of course, I do have my wonderful director of preservation, Grace Abernathy. She's my partner in crime. She does a lot of the web design and all of the conservation work that's going on on the inside of the building. So Again, I'd like to express my appreciation to Rachel and Grace for their assistance in making this episode. If you guys enjoyed hearing about this beautiful building and you want to help a little more, be sure to check out the foundation online at hfmhfoundation.org. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings, Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider, with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts.